if you are ready to take the hard road. The road less travelled. The path in life where the journey is more important than the destination. Then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigour. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. If you are interested in not paying full price for your supplements, then head on over to mountainops.com and use the coupon code TAG10 at checkout, and that will get you 10% off your Mountain Ops purchase. That's TAG10 for 10% off. Also, if you would like some free Maven swag with your binocular or optics order, go on over to mavenbuilt.com. They sell really kick-ass, fully customizable binoculars, and they are awesome. I've been using them for about two years now. They're fantastic. Head on over, use the coupon code NBHGIFT at checkout, and that will get you some free swag with your order. Welcome one and all to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. I'm your host, Will Bradley, back from a a little bit of a hiatus here, took off hunting season from doing any episodes, Uh, just a lot going on in life, moving, uh, pretty much moving, took a lot, took a lot out with that in hunting season. Uh, but we're back. We're going to be cranking them out now. And my first guest is a very good friend of mine. He, for those of you who remember Ryan Parr from previous episodes, he's basically the new Ryan Parr down at CrossFit Mohawk Valley or Mohawk Valley Fitness, whatever title. I guess it would be more of the fitness, right? Mohawk Valley Fitness. That's big praise, the new Ryan Parr. The new Ryan Parr. He's about double the uh, muscle mass as me and probably almost 25% taller. (laughs) Okay, let's say he would be... (laughs) We'll say the more zen uh, Ryan Parr. I'm a less, uh, I'm a, what's, what's called a, a less Viking version of Ryan Parr. Yes. Yeah. Strip the Viking away, yeah. add the yoga, and okay. you've got today's guest, Vin Canarelli. That's me. How you doing? I pronounced that right, right? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and. Because most people can't for somehow. Yeah, it's just like it's spelled. I yeah. think we never, never use your last name. It's always Chen's. Never. Yeah, Vinner Chens. Yeah. Although most don't know Chens. That happens to a lot of guys, I find. They end up with names that aren't their name. My ent- Literally, my entire family doesn't call me Vinny. Nobody. Not even not even my sister. They all call me Chens. The enti- and I have cousins for the longest time. They didn't even know my real name because they everyone uses Chens. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and you may hear a little background sound there. That's my man, Everett. Soon to be one years old, just chatting it up over there, sitting in on the podcast. And Vin is here today to talk about something really cool, and that is leaving his job. Oh, yeah. Now, I know a lot of people probably are listening and in the very same shoes you yourself were recently in, and that is you don't hate your job, but it's not the prior. The one I left. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the love of your life. There, there's levels. There's levels to that. Let's let's start there. Um, there, were, it was uh, it was really the environment, the the general environment that I hated. Not not specifically the work, but it really all, you could put all of it together, and generally say, I've pretty much hated the last 10 years of my employment because the environment that I was in. Which 
is kind of that office space environment. Yeah. So the first that uh, scene in office space, I'm glad you brought that up because that that movie really resonates with me a lot. And I'm sure if anyone has seen it, it resonates with them that they work in an office. And if they do work in an office and haven't seen it, they really should watch it because it the movie is is nonsense and jokey as it is. It the the writers did a really 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 clever brilliant way of portraying how it is to work in a, a corporate America type job at a, at a desk and yeah it's 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 desk it's a typical desk work um I mean I used to have a job I liked when I was younger I worked at a sign company I was making signs by hand I drive by them almost daily and still feel great like I look at them like man I made that 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 shit's cool I used to like that, but it didn't pay very well. And I had just graduated college, and I was pretty much going into debt so much so that right before I left, my bank account went into the negative. Like I was, I was losing money fast. Uh, but the job was cool. It was work out of my uncle's garage. I was pretty much hanging out with my now one of my best friends that I met there, um, and we were just uh, just bullshitting all day, listening to like K Rock, in cut off T shirts, just using tools and painting, and just just using our hands like being creative with our hands and i've been creative my whole life i've always drawn or done some, done something creative whatever whatever it is that you want to call it um and i was raised in an environment where it was pretty much you need to find like a real job this isn't going to last forever you need to make more money the real job the, the real, myth of the real job the myth of the real the job. myth of the real job we should talk about that because i remember <laughs> back when i was maybe gosh maybe like 12 years old mm -hmm. i remember i was at summer camp my parents picked me up i'm like oh my god summer camp's amazing i want to be a counselor mm -hmm. my dad's like no you need to get a real job yeah. and i was like what <laughs> like you're you won't be a summer counselor you're, you're going to start working construction next summer <laughs> the elusive real job yeah which yeah. which i ended up starting construction next you, soon yeah like two summers after that and i'll mm -hmm. tell you what I can understand what real job means compared to that job. One one seems a lot more, more fun and relaxed than the other. Yeah, I'm sure you love the camp the camp gig. Or did you not end up working as a counselor? I ended up not being uh, a camp counselor, but I did construction for like four years. Yeah. Then I was a lifeguard for the state up on Racket Lake in the Adirondacks for no, two that was, years. That was probably cool. Now that would be the opposite of real job. That yeah, was that was probably cool. I was you know, I was borderline planning on doing the lifeguard thing. Like I got certified in college. I was actually my highest credit class I took I got four credits just for taking lifeguarding wow which is cool because I love swimming there wasn't studying I got to be in a pool uh it was awesome and uh then I just never ended up doing it because I had to get a real job see I'll tell you what <laughs> it was paid like 12 bucks an hour which to a kid in college that was phenomenal <laughs> yeah so I was like you know what I'm gonna do this for two years then you know I had to go back to like you say real real job real world you can't be a lifeguard year round around here no not around here but I so, would, yeah, lifeguarding would have been sweet. Just pretty it, much just I'll tell you what, it was it was really great. That was that was a phenomenal job, man. Yeah. The best I ever had. And going from that to construction, which I think even has more freedom than your typical. I, I believe a lot more freedom based on the environment I was in. Mm -hmm. A lot more freedom than the typical desk job. What is what was it like? What what's the feeling? Because I've never worked a typical desk job. So what what's the for those of us who haven't, what's the nine to five, if you will? All right. So I've I've worked the, I've I've worked two extremes of what a desk job is. I've worked in corporate America desk job, 
where you're literally in a cubicle and I've worked in tech startup desk job, which is like way more relaxed and open and lofty and uh, kind of hip, quote unquote. So I was at the sign company. I needed money because I literally was about to not be able to make a payment on my next car payment. Uh, and I applied at MetLife where my mom worked. And it was low-hanging fruit. She's like, hey, apply here. They're always hire- literally always hiring. I had a degree, so they were going to hire me. Two, literally, like two weeks after I applied, I was in training. It was, it was snappy. Like, I applied. The next day, they called me to set up a phone interview. And then I was, I was drunk on a beach in Miami when I had my phone interview. They called me on vacation. Can't imagine why you're going bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> that was still the best vacation I've ever had in my life. So I, don't re- I regret nothing. Um, that was fun. Um, so I didn't know. I wasn't burnt out at that point in my life. I was 20, 20 21, something. Hard to be burnt out at 21. Yeah, nothing burns you out at 21. Burning bright, bright young man at 21. Everything, any opportunity you get, no matter how good or bad it is, seems like, oh my God, my life is, I'm set for the rest of my life. There is, there, nothing can go wrong. You don't really, uh, you haven't kind of had your ass kicked by life yet to realize how poorly things can go. Um, (laughs) And I mean, mean, at the time, I was still under the wing of my parents. I was still living there. I had no, the only debt I had was my car. That was, I mean, that was it. It was any money I pretty much pocketed. And uh, so I was in training. First year was great. I had a little cubicle. It took me off my feet, and I was actually getting a little tight, physically tired from the sign company. So I was like, oh, man, I get to sit all day? What? Sitting's great. When did they invent this kind of job? Ah. Like it was, it was, what, the first year was really awesome. Like sitting, it, I wasn't devastating in the heat. I wasn't freezing my ass off in the cold. I got to sit at a computer, and at the time, I loved computers. Now, after 10 years of them, I want to chuck it out the window. And actually, I just sold my computer about a month ago to support my new lifestyle. So I don't technically own a computer right now, which I'm I'm not too butthurt about. I, I use the computer at the gym if I need to, and my sister's let me borrow hers, which is barely works, but it works. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had the desk job. I was at uh, MetLife. Pretty much uh, start the day at 6.30, you leave at 3, there's a half hour lunch somewhere in between there, Um, and they're like, hey, you're going to do this all day, every day, there's really no deviation from this, you have this path, you get good at this path, and then there's nothing new to learn, pretty much, it's, uh, you just kind of keep doing the same thing over and over and over for years, and I was there for like six and a half, six, six and a half years. So every day you go there for six years. Six and a half years, and it was the same thing every same day. Same exact thing, except the only thing that didn't stay constant was the amount of micromanaging they did, which kept getting higher and higher and higher. So meaning they, they're they looking over your shoulder more and more and more. They're giving you more annoying, little, monotonous, non-mentally challenging tasks. So it's, it just added to the monotony. Um and, you know, after a year, I, start, they, I started to feel like the wince of what corporate life is like and the red tape and how you have, you only have one boss, but really you have six bosses and in a ladder of succession and any one of them can come down on you for something just stupid small. Like I left, I, I got up, I had to leave it. My, my uh, cutout time was three o'clock. I got up at 2.59 in 30 seconds and I started walking away. And not even my boss, someone else's boss, was like, where are you going? Thir- I, there was less than 60 seconds before 3 o'clock. And they were like, where are you going? It's not 3 yet. And I'm, 
I just stopped and I looked at her and, I, and then I looked, I like looked both directions. Like, does anyone see this right now? And, uh, I, I like walked at a snail's pace back to my desk. I sat my, I put my bag down on my desk. I stayed standing up and I just looked at my clock 30 seconds later. I picked my stuff up and walked out and I was like, was that, was that necessary? Like 30, I couldn't do anything productive in that 30, 45 second window. And then there was, then there was not required, non-required slash quote unquote required overtime that was it started at year two and it had never stopped for the following four years and i've been out of the job for over two years now and it's still going on so you have these people who are staring into a computer screen for eight straight hours with bright reflective lights above you bouncing off beige desk with a bright screen hitting you in the eye so you're in a really fatiguing, mentally fatiguing environment. And now they want you to work two plus extra hours a day. And uh, in the beginning, it's cool because you're like, oh, man, I'm adding like 100, 200, sometimes $300 to my paycheck. Uh, and then it turns into like, man, I'm fucking tired. Like, can I just take a break from this? And then they start shitting on you for taking a break, even if you were contributing the most overtime out of the whole department. It's like I was at one point doing more than they were requesting. And then I slowed down and they're like, can you do more? Uh, why aren't you, why aren't you doing overtime this Saturday? And I'm like, well, I, I helped my grandpa with his horses. I'm trying to learn the horse business cause he used to own and train horses. And they're like, it's not good that your personal life is interfering with your day job. And I'm like, but it's, it's Saturday. It's, Saturday to Sunday night. Oh not- my God! It's not good that your personal. I'm I'm alive for the personal life. I'm sure as shit not alive for this job. Oh, of course not. But I was green at the time. Like I I was a year. I was still about a year in. I was like, oh, I can't. I can't. Uh, can't offend the bosses. Like I'm like you don't know any better at the time. It's, you're a yes man in the beginning. You don't. Again, you haven't been shit. There to please. Yeah, you say yeah. Well, the way I was raised is you say yes to everything. It doesn't matter what it is. You say yes to everything, and you never say no. It doesn't matter how small or large the request is. You always say yes, and you just keep moving up the ladder. Oh, you're not happy? It doesn't matter. Just keep keep making money. It'll work out in the end. And like in the back of their mind, they're probably like, hopefully it'll work out in the end. At the real job. Yeah, at the real job. The quote, quote, the real job, yeah. And... uh so I pretty much just trudged through this, getting more and more bitter. I was slowly turning more and more and more into curmudgeon, just resenting waking up in the morning. Like I would wake up in a miser- miserable mood, and I'd go to sleep in a miserable mood, anticipating waking up in a miserable mood. It was like a never-ending vicious cycle. And I was just getting more tired and more drained. And it was starting to turn into not just mental drain, but physical drain, because if anyone's not sat in a desk for eight hours straight a day and ha- not having a ton of options to get up and walk around, it uh, it fucking hurts. Like, not in the beginning, but eventually it hurts. If you had to guess how many steps a day you're getting in. A couple hundred. And that's, oh. not, that's not a lot. That is not a lot at all. No, that's not a lot. No, it's not. Um, dude, it's It sucked. And it was affecting me at the gym because you know you sit in the same position for eight hours and your your muscles just shrink and tighten and like you try and stand up straight and you can't um i mean it looks like you're straight from the outsider perspective but you can feel like your whole front side just kind of pulling in because you're used to being hunched over the desk all day 
So I got to the point where I, if I didn't warm up and stretch for 45 minutes, I couldn't work out effectively. I was literally taking 45 minutes of my free time just to stretch so that I can be active and healthy. And it wasn't even enough. Like I was getting to the point where I was stretching too much, but it was also necessary at the same time. And I didn't know what else to do. I know I got complacent. Um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't really qualified for anything. I had a four year degree, but I, that, that doesn't, I what was a, your four year degree in? I guess we should ask that. Uh, well, as I said, I was creative. It was, it was an art. It was, I was, it was a graphic design type major, which was the coolest major ever. I mean, I, it was fun. It was, you pretty much were just dicking around in Photoshop and Illustrator all day, every day, web design, animation, uh, photo manipulation. I mean, at, just any, any digital art way wait so that's what your degree was in what did you do at MetLife? what would you say your job was oh i processed uh death claims yeah what is processing death claims right so let's uh i'll set up a scenario a mock scenario here uh let's say you're working for bradley construction and bradley construction offers you life insurance through metlife that's the that's the provider you have to set beneficiaries so if you uh, passed away. So Everett here is my beneficiary. Everett's your beneficiary. You pass away in some horrific construction accident. I don't know. Take your pick. There's like a fall off the roof. Infinite option when you're working construction. He now has to get paid, but there's a lot of paperwork and red tape to make sure that happens. That usually takes sometimes up to a couple years, depending on the. Which seems like it should be pretty cut and dry. It seems like it should, but because you have now uh, passed away due to an accident, there's a whole new set of paperwork that's because it's not a natural death. So it's, oh <laughs> yeah, you know, that it has to be investigated. Is it a real accident? Like, are was you, it a murder? Yeah. Yeah. Did somebody push you off the roof or did you actually did fall? I commit suicide? Yeah. So many questions. Oh, and, and sometimes if somebody commits suicide, their beneficiary doesn't get dick. And that's, that sucks for the beneficiary. Don't but, do that people. Yeah. Don't, don't, do don't commit suicide. That's really no bueno. Um, but yeah, so you, let's say you passed away, somebody, because Everett's one, somebody would have to notify your employer and, you know, hopefully took the microphone away from him. (laughs) Um, somebody in your family would have to claim or or notify your employer that you passed away and then the employer would submit a claim to MetLife. Now I, that's where I step in. Once the claim gets submitted, I would go into this "quote unquote" work, this queue where all the claims are submitted, and I just grab whatever's next. And uh, basically, I would have to make sure that all of the information is typed in correctly, spelled correctly, uh, a basically data entry. Um, and there was someone below me putting the data in so really all i was doing was scanning lines of text to make sure they didn't make any spelling errors uh so i wasn't even doing the data entry they were doing the active part of it like the mentally stimulating part i was just sitting there like staring at a screen hoping they didn't make a mistake blasting through it as quick as possible um which means i may be making a mistake which i can get in trouble for (laughs) um and i would make sure that the benefit being claimed is accurate that you're actually eligible for it I would make sure the beneficiary's mailing information is accurate, their social security number is accurate. It's just a lot of spell checking is what it was, really. Um, and then as, if everything checked out, I hit pay. I didn't even get to write the check. I went to another department that cut the check. I mean, it literally was just, it was half data entry, half spell checking. You're the middleman. I was um, the middleman with the most boring part of the entire job. Um, and that was my day, it was, 
6.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Spell check, data entry, spell check, data entry. Um, and you had to hit a certain number of claims per hour, which means you couldn't slow down. And uh, they say, oh, go take walks if you're getting tight or if you need a mental break. But like the more walks you take, the less productive you are, which comes back to bite you in the ass. And if you're away from your desk too long, uh, somebody will verbally bite you in the ass, like your manager or maybe it's someone else's manager that just happens to see you. So it's like one of those things where like, oh, yeah, you can when they're hiring, like, yeah, people feel free to take walks or mental breaks, go to the chill out room. And then you go, you see nobody's walking. No one's in the no, chill no out room. No one's taking a walk because they have, they, they can't afford to miss production because if you miss production, you get in trouble. And if you miss production too much, they start, uh, they put you on watch or check pretty much. And it's like, if you make another mistake, dude, you're out of here. It's like. So you can't, it's, it's easy to say, oh, just get up and walk around, but it's, uh, in, in theory, it's easy. In practice, it's stressful. It's actually mentally stressful because you're like, this break is actually pulling me away from the production that I'm required to hit. So what would be your numbers for like the day? Uh, you had to process, and you had to, it had to end up being an average of three claims per hour is and they, they tracked it by once you hit complete or pay that registers as a claim or a, a credit um and then on top of that there was quality you had to hit you had to be 99 percent perfect uh with the processing that you do so every Jesus. time every time you hit pay your claim may or may not get pulled for quality assurance and then if they catch anything that you it didn't even have to be something you messed up. If you missed a, if you missed a spelling error that somebody else made, you got in trouble, not the person that made the error. It's like if you're the last person to pay it, everything's on you. Nothing before you matters. And what do they do to you if you? <clears throat> Same thing. Um, let's say so. One of the the quote unquote benefits there was they would allow you to work from home every other day, uh, and that was that was a a luxury if you were like productive and and quality proficient if you hit certain metrics you could go home and work every other day if you miss your quality or your production they pull you back in the office for like three plus months for like missing one month of quality and you had to be 99 percent accurate if you were 98.9 percent accurate they could pull you back in the office so think to so think about oh, that's scary it's mental stress that just it's drip it drips like an iv from the start of your day to the end of the day and it, the longer you work there, the sh the more stressful that it ends up becoming. Now I know why you like yoga. Sounds, See, you know what? Sounds, I, you know what this sounds like is like they're they're part of the empire from yeah. from the dark side. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. Don't basically if in that job just uh, run. <laughs> yeah. Just don't even apply. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's there's better options out there. It might feel like this is the only option because they will take anyone, no matter what cave they've crawled out of, to work there. Uh, there's better options. There's something that will make you happy. Just don't don't settle for the first job that pays. Is, is the moral of the story, which is what I did. It's the first job. It's the only job I applied for. They knocked on my door the next day, and you know, giddy up. I'm I'm in the workforce. And when you're 20, you're you're super jet. Well, I mean, as long as you're looking forward to making money, you're jazzed. Um, I know a bunch of people who don't ever want to work. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, I have to go do something. And don't get me wrong. Do I, do I enjoy the concept of working? 
because of the, those six or seven years, no. But what I do now, I fucking love. So if I'm swearing and it's not good for me. Uh, nah, okay. okay. Um, but like it, when you think of work, you don't think of passion. You don't think of fulfillment. You don't think of, oh, I like this. You think of, I need a paycheck to pay my bills because we're brought up inherently and societally brought up to you're pretty much going to go into debt and you need to have a, a plan to pay off your debt. And that's the society we live in is you, you find whatever job keeps you in the little, as least that is possible or helps you stay out of debt. Um, and that's how I was brought up. It doesn't matter what it is. Apply for it. Oh, you're not, you're not qualified for that management position. Apply for it. Anyways, you take the first, the first well-paying job that comes to you. Um, and like I understand where the message roots from because they because each generation doesn't really know any better. They're just doing what the generation before them taught them to do because they didn't know any better. Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, and if you're in a family uh, full of monkeys, um, and I'm not calling my family monkeys, but they there is a, a very distinct path. And if they don't know any different, or if no one in the family, I guess I'll say, has the guts to break away from the mold, which it's stressful breaking away from the mold, especially when you have a, a, a large Italian family as I do. It's, it's like my mom has six brothers, uh, five of which now, but they all have two to three kids. And the generation before that was even bigger. Um, when you're in a family that big and 99% of them is following the path, I'm air quoting the path, there's no other option other than you just do what they tell you to do because you don't know you're not taught any other way and you know when i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do i was like oh i want to be a graphic designer and they're like uh, can you make any money doing that it's like the comp the the market's flooded there's a million and one graphic designers oh you're gonna have to go to a big the only way you're gonna make money is in a big city you can't make money around here and you know i think ryan mcgrogan is disproving that pretty much every day um but at that time, when I was in graphic design school, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to I'm gonna design. It's fun. I like being creative. I don't care if it looks like shit. It's fun. Um, I, it's fulfilling to start with nothing and have some sort of creation after. And uh, they're like, you're going to have to go to a big city if you ever want to make money to this. And, the prop, and it's great in theory. It sounds good. But at the same time, when you go to a big city, that's where all the other graphic designers flock to because that's where you make money. So now you're leaving an area where there's no competition and going to an area where you're one out of X amount of million graphic designers. Good luck finding a job. You, you're better off taking a job in your small town making dick for money opposed to going to a big city and probably making no money. Um, and I didn't want to move at the time. Uh, I came from a small town. It's pretty – I can't I, – some people love leaving small towns. I wasn't in the mood to leave. I liked my friends and my family. Um, so I took MetLife. It was first, first come, first serve. First come, first serve. There was no lag time between application and getting called back. And then, you know, like I said, two weeks later, I'm in a job, cushy office job. I'm off my feet. It's climate controlled. There's benefits. There's bonuses. There's raises if you're willing to work for them. And then after year one, you know, reality of a desk job sets in. And corporate America sets in. Micromanagement sets in. And, and then I could be here for life. And that's what in a job like MetLife, like cubicle life in a big corporate environment where there's like dozens of locations across the country and the world, because they're not just national, they're like, they're multinational. So they're, they're global, they're everywhere. 
those kind of jobs, people take them for life because you can move up. I mean, the person who was running my department, who is probably making like uh, numerous six figures, she started at around where I was. Um, you slowly figure out, though, that what it takes to get there is kind of you have to sell your soul and just be a yes man forever. There is no such thing as disagreeing. You have to just suck the teat, the power teat, until you retire. And uh, the, every year over year, I realized I have to do this until I retire. I'm 24. Let me do the math. I can't retire until I'm, what, 64, 65? And every couple decades, that actually gets further and further away. I was like, how the hell? I'm the most miserable I've ever been in my life. How do I do this for another 40-plus, potentially plus years? But that's the plan. That's the path. You just That's the real job. You stay in a job as long as possible because it doesn't look good when you hop job to job. Oh, why were you only this job for a year? Like you have to I was taught to you have to plan for your next interview. Whatever you can't quit this job because they're gonna why did you quit this job? You can't get fired from this job. Why did you get fired? It's like what every decision you made is influ- gonna be judged. It influences the next interview. It's no way to live. I mean it's not. Um, but that's the only thing I knew. I didn't know that there was a uh, a path out of this. And it got so bad. And and, and in between all this, I took a second job uh, because I I wanted to get out of the debt that the education that I loved put me into, the debt that most people never get out of, uh, student loans. It's the one debt you can't default on. You can't claim bankruptcy on. It pretty much follows you until you either pay it off or you die or you're murdered. You know, Take your pick of those three options. You have that debt forever if you don't pay it off. And I needed to get out of debt because I literally got to the point where I didn't have enough money to live. So I started working at a nightclub, Lava, uh, out in Verona, and all of a sudden, I'm having fun again. Like I'm working with other 20-year-olds. We're in an, you know, we're in this fun, fast-paced nightlife environment. And you know, when you're under 25, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but when I was younger than 25, I had all the energy in the world. You know, didn't working 6:30 a.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. on a Friday, then going to the gym for two hours, and then going to the club from 8 p.m. to 3.34 a.m., not getting to bed until 5 or 6 a.m., that wasn't that bad. Like, I was making $300-plus a night under the table, working two nights a week. I I paid off six years of student loans in six months, and I made a plan. Every single dime that I make here, literally every dime, doesn't matter what I get. What I make goes to my student loans. So I... I killed over a dec or uh, just less than a decade of student loans in the first six months, and I figured that was going to be a means to an end. Um, I figured, oh, I'll just quit after that. And then uh, the plan was, I pay my student loans off, and then I quit, and then I can go golfing on the weekends again, and I can have fun again. And uh, then I paid my loans off, and I'm like, I could just pocket this money now and keep working. And now I'm like rich. I still live at home. Uh, I have the only debt I have is my truck loan. Um, I don't really have anything else to spend money on. I'm just going to start banking all this money and just keep working. I mean, it's fun. I don't hate the job, and it's a nice. It's you know, I'm. It's still a nice break from the desk work because I'm working around other fun twenty-year-olds in a, an environment where people are inherently having the time of their life. Um, 
And so I did that for uh, four and a half years. Desk job, Monday through Friday, nine to five. Nightclub until four in the morning, Friday and Saturday night. I almost never took time off, almost ever, unless there was a big event or like a family, something family that I didn't want to miss. So I pretty much worked, let's say, 48 to 50 weekends a year on top of the 48 to 50 weeks a year. Um, And that was cool for a little while. And then I started to approach 25. And when you approach, at least when you're me, you approach 25, that's not so conducive to your health and overall well-being anymore. Because all I was doing was working during the week and working during the weekend nights and um one one second yeah yeah <laughs> little man just knocked over a paint roller oh <laughs> you're okay now never mind he's okay <laughs> and start uh, yeah i started getting tired uh i had to stop pulling back from working out like my body was starting to break down because i was approaching 25 and that's just kind of what happens in your mid to upper 20s is if you don't take care of yourself, your body starts to break down. You know, things don't just go away like you're If you're sitting for eight hours a day. And then exhausting yourself until five in the morning, two nights a week. See, the problem was... You can't catch up on that sleep. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just the exhaustion. It was, there was officially no time to recover. Um, I had to grocery shop because I had started meal prepping by that time. Uh, I had to, you know, do laundry. I was waking up into the afternoon. So I had to go grocery shopping. I had to meal prep, which at the time took four hours. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So I was, I was creatively meal prepping. I was making all these fun concoctions, uh, experimenting every week over week. So I, had, I was going into each meal prep session with no plan. Just I wanted things that tasted good. Now I just... You don't care. It's now just it's fuel. like, is it nutritious? Just mix everything together like a garbage plate. It's an hour and a half meal prep, sometimes an hour. Good enough. Like, just get it out of the way. So like, the four hours at first was cool until I realized I was soaking up my entire Saturday. So I would pretty much wake up in the afternoon, go grocery shopping, go meal prep, and then go right back to work. And then I would wake up even later on Sunday because I was officially completely in the hole run down. And I'd wake up Sunday and... Uh, now I only have from about 12 or 1 p.m. until about 10 o'clock p.m. And that was my only window to recover. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't, I couldn't go do fun things because I was physically and mentally just – I had nothing in me, basically. And every year it got worse and worse. Um, and then I started slipping into this really bad depression coma, basically. And it was getting worse year over year. And when you don't let yourself rest – depression creeps up on you slowly at first and then all of a sudden it doesn't go slow it goes fast and now you can't really function anymore i was withdrawing from my friends i was withdrawing from my family i was almost intentionally skipping family gatherings because i couldn't fathom the idea of communicating with other people like all the questions they just want to keep talk and talk and talk and but i'm tired talking's tiring when you're tired uh so I would just start avoiding life. I would wake up. I would pretty much be a hermit, and I would go back to work, and then I would wake up and just keep doing it over and over and over. And I had to start removing workout days from my workout, so now I'm not even getting as much exercise, and now I'm starting to get hurt because I'm run down and my body can't keep up with even being a human. I was getting hurt doing nothing. I mean, I, I sprained my ankle sitting in a desk 
just rotating my ankle to stretch it and my ankle popped and it sprained and I was that was three years ago and I still have problems on that side of my body because of it um then after four and a half years I or about four let's say about after four years I started seeing by recommendation I started going to a spiritual healer um basically the term i guess you would say is like a shamanistic healer you could take that however you want uh we were just sitting in chairs face to face we weren't out in, we weren't out in the jungle or anything i feel like i see you in a tent somewhere yeah, there nude were no tents. with there were... animal ligaments on you <laughs> yeah i wasn't finding my spirit animal every month i wasn't taking ayahuasca although i'm very interested in doing so. um, although that may happen someday it, it, uh, it not may it's it's not if it's when it'll, it'll <laughs> definitely happen um but I started seeing this lady, uh, Susan, and you know she's she, she would looks, be named Susan. She looks, what's that? She would be named Susan. Yeah, she, I don't know what that means. She's, uh, you know, my life is a hundred percent different now ever since I started seeing her, and I owe not all of it to her because I had to make a lot of difficult realizations and even harder decisions slash life changes after she nudged me to. But she she looks shamanistic. You know, she wears very flowy clothes. She's got this long, wavy, gray hair. Um, she looks like a hippie, kind of. A, a mature hippie. is, And I, I don't think she would ever disagree with me if uh, in that description. And she's not a therapist. She has no, you know, uh, formal psychological training. What she has is literally like five or six decades of sometimes horrific life experience plus eight years of uh, shamanistic and spiritual training. So she's, she trained for eight years for what she's doing now in a very hands-on, not scholastic type way. Um, and she started making me face all these, like I call, I call them demons, all these things that were sucking me into, like, why are you working so much? Do you really need all that money? What are you doing with it? You know, you're just, you're working to work. That's all you're doing is you're making more money to make more money. You're not socializing. You're depressed. You're tired all the time. You're spending no effort whatsoever trying to find a relationship, which, which is actually the whole reason I started going to her is because I've had this, I'll call it a problem. I've had a problem since I was a preteen with allowing myself to go enter into relationships with women. And before we get into that, yeah. here's here's a word from me about one of our fine partners on this program. <laughs> Have you been looking for Cuban cigars, but are not sure how to get them? Well, my friends, if you go to iHavanas.com, you can order Cuban cigars, and they will be shipped to your door. That's right. I'm talking about Cohibas, Monte Cristo, Partigas. I ordered some uh, Partigas series number four the other day, and they are fantastic, as well as some Monte Cristo number twos. And let me tell you, if you have always wanted to try a Cuban cigar, now is the time. And they can be delivered directly to your door. They ship, I think they're at my house, in less than a week, all the way from Switzerland. So check them out. That's iHavanas.com. And order today. Let's let's dig let's dig into that. I had okay. a problem getting now now is it like 
getting women, like talking to women, or is it like, shall we say, betting women, or is it like forming long-lasting relationships with a said woman? Melt all those three things together. Although I won't melt the, melt the betting thing, and that's never been the problem. If I really want to, I won't have, and this is not an arrogant thing at all. I mean, if I wanted to, I could go find someone to take to bed. I choose to actively choose to avoid that being my route because I just never wanted to be that guy. Actually, you and Melanie talked to me about this years ago. I don't know if you remember, but you were like, just just go bang someone. It's pretty much you. It's like it doesn't. You I don't still, have to date them. I still stand by that advice. <laughs> Solid advice then. Solid advice. Well, now. okay. So there's a reason I don't do that, and I used to do that. And I had a let's just call it a bad mushroom trip that put a bug in my head about getting girls pregnant that has had had that one one hour experience put uh, a paralyzing fear in my head and I don't know if you've ever done a see my dad put that paralyzing fear in my head pregnant. yeah he put that one in my head and he said he cut my balls off if I did it see uh, I didn't have to have somebody tell me that the mushrooms told me that <laughs> how old are you when the mushrooms told you because I was like 14 when my dad started telling me and actually my I buddy was, uh, well, Actually, my buddy Josie Gear's dad told us all the same thing, too. <laughs> no, my dad never gave me the sex talk, actually. Neither did my mom. Yeah, we didn't get a sex talk. We just got sex threats. Don't oh, get my, her pregnant or I'll cut your dick off. The only sex talk that my dad has ever given me and is still giving me is you need to hook up with as many women as possible. It doesn't matter. That was what his advice? Like. Oh, it still is. That's, it doesn't I matter mean, what they look like. I would agree with 75% It doesn't of matter advice. if there's a connection. Notches on the belt. Pins knocked down. <laughs> That's he, I thought. It that sounds was, like he's reading a script from Mad Men. He's we're going to go out there, you see, and we're going to get all the dames. <laughs> That's his script. Uh, <laughs> self-written novel is just bang, 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 bang. Because that's what he used to do. And see, interesting fact about that. This house, back <laughs> before I moved in here. No, close. Back before I moved in. When I originally lived here the first time through in my early 20s, this was known as the Will Bradley Rehabilitation House. Uh And what I would do is take, there'd be friends or friends of friends would hear of the reputation and they'd move into the house and they'd start running a room and I would teach them how to get over a girlfriend who usually Uh either dumped them or cheat on them and find a new girl. See where this is going. I have a hundred percent success rate, and all but one of the people who've lived in this house have been in committed and are currently married for like five plus years. And was this? It's a very probing question. Was this house a a funnel or a channel that they used to sleep with women until they found the one, and they took the women uh, here? You know what? It was. Um, or was it like a boarding school for relationships? I would say it was more like hands-on, on-the-job training. So there'd be a lot of partying, okay. a lot of going out, a lot of that yeah. stuff. But also it was like a lot of how to talk to. Sometimes okay. I'd write whole text messages for guys okay. in this thread. This girl thinks they're talking to him. Yeah. And I'm telling him why to say certain things because – you know, a lot of people, and I know this could work on men just as easily as it could women, we are based to have certain responses to certain triggers. Of course, yeah, it's biological. Right, a lot of biological yeah. triggers. So there'd be a lot of that. I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show before. And a lot of, um, basically, what is it with you 
that's keeping like I still have a friend today who she she should have moved in that, <laughs> that I should have moved he in, has a lot like of that. self he has a lot of self defecating humor yeah and it's like I can see it I can see how he uses it Comments for a crutch yeah. I can see how he doesn't have the confidence I can see the, how somebody he is with or other people react to it and it's like listen we all see value in you you yeah. wouldn't be here if we didn't see value defense in you mechanism, what it right is. yeah and we and it's one of those things that we'd work on and i'd give them tasks yeah. like okay today you oh, have to go out and you have to note the eye color and i read a lot of different books from one and i'll give credit to this was by neil strauss he was a he's a writer for uh I've heard the name yeah. yeah he's been on i think a bunch of podcasts but he was known he wrote a book called the game and i took what i learned in that book and a lot of other relationship books and some psychology classes I had taken, and I just started kind of formulating this practice that here's the road you go. You start here, mm-hmm. you start at this this path, and then we're going to walk down this path, and you have to keep choosing kind of which door you're going to go through. Okay. And, you know, some guys would just keep – one guy, he decided he was he's just going to be single forever. He'll never settle down. Mm-hmm. And that's, hey, that is the right that's path his, for him. That's what he wants. Yeah. yeah, it works. But he left this place. He came in with just <laughs> – with a uh, – with just – not he came in not in a good space very much in the kind of life you're living you were living where it wasn't exactly a desk job but it was half part-time desk job shall we say and now he's out like adventuring all over the place oh that's cool yeah so it was like part education part trade school yes yes in in kind of the art of Women and getting your shit together. Okay. Yeah, in recreation, in in your in personal life, shall we say, in personal life. It's necessary recreation. It's not free for all. There's application to it. Right. Because here's the thing: there's nobody out there teaching you how to talk to girls, how to go on dates, how to pick dates. No one's teaching you that. That's the stuff. I would do. You know, you can look through all these things, find things going on, talk about you. And the other thing is how to become interesting without Mm -hmm. talking about yourself all the time. And mm, that, that's a skill right there. That, that really is a skill. Yeah. So a lot of time, you know, one of the things was you have to go out and find out three personal things. You have to go to a gas yeah, you station. You were giving them real work. Yeah, real work. So eye color was a big one. Smiling at people was a big one. Eye contact was another one, which is the reason you know what the eyes is to look into someone's yeah. eyes. The other would be um, finding personal information. And then the other, the other one of the big ones <laughs> is like just, just going over rejection. Just going out and getting rejected by as many women you can, so because intentionally, yeah, almost, almost trying to get rejected to what numb numb yourself to that. Yeah, because two yeah. things usually happen. One, you find out ways to not get rejected. Yeah, and the other one is you realize a lot of the world revolves around a numbers game. Yeah. The more yeah, yeah, yeah. poles you put in the water, the more fish you will. Catch. The like more you go thing. fishing, the more you'll learn your grounds. Then yeah. you'll put in more poles and better spots, and then. And it sounds like a really like broy thing to say, but I mean it's realistic. It's it's applicable. It, and, and all this can sound broy, and it can sound douchey, but, but it's, real. It's, it's It's not. It's not it, real science. It's yeah. real. And and what it led to, like I said, is I won't name their names, but again, they've got kids now. They've been in a relationship Great. for a long time. They're school monogam- monogamous, as far as I know. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It, you're describing what, what what could be a very fulfilling career, even at this stage of your life. Well, maybe not here. Yeah, running it here with my family here. would be very very difficult. Hey guys, here's but a- there's no reason you can't acquire a new locate a second location or uh, just an additional location and make that 
a training ground for young studs that need some guidance. Yeah, and and you know what's funny is you you learn as you get older too. Is there was things about they write in the books about is you know peacocking, which is trying to deliberately bring your attention to yourself, whether it's through style, dress, or the way you act. Yeah. And I've even learned that a lot of that can be done away with by generally being an interested and engaging yes. person. And yeah. that's one of the things that they don't talk about in the books because I don't know if maybe they've reached that point now, but whenever I was reading it way back when, they hadn't approached that part. And that's the one thing that I think I really was successful at is um, bringing, and that's kind of the adventurous gentleman thing, is bringing these guys up to be more adventurous and a little more gentlemanly, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, okay. So and I'm not talking James Bond. I, you know, they're still who they are, but... No, it sounds like getting somebody who doesn't have the social toolbox a lot of it yeah yeah and and not teaching them how to be an arrogant self uh fulfilled look at me look at me look at me type guy but more being able to talk to women or or choose your gender we'll call it i i'm assuming it was mostly straight males it it was Um, 100 100 straight males (laughs) but just uh giving them the tools so that they can speak to women in a way that's not clunky and it's interesting both from what he was saying to them and the responses and the listening that he did when they were speaking. Exactly. Yeah. And the other, the the confidence knowing to, and this comes back to a lot of, if you've read the book Tribe, is knowing you're to. going to come back somewhere and know you've got your base, you've got the people you're going to talk to, you're mm-hmm. not going to come back and be like, oh, be alone. You know what yeah. I mean? There's nothing worse than failing and then being alone in your failure. It's better to come back and hash it out like what what went wrong. And a lot of people never want to look at what they did and pick out what they did wrong. I uh, still all the time, I keep trying to look back to when I was going through puberty and figure out what what was it that made me the way I am because it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, exactly a black and white um, – I was prepubescent, and then all of a sudden, I was horrific with women. It uh, it happens slowly. It, uh, it there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of things that contribute to it. Um, and I still try and look back and be like, what what was the path that I took that led me to having self confidence issues? That, now, yeah, when you say horrific with women, define horrific. So it's, I mean, nothing embarrassing or anything like that. Uh, I think the problem was that I wasn't allowing myself to put myself in somewhat potentially embarrassing or compromising permission. I just wasn't approach. I would, and to this day, I don't. I approach women. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know where it stemmed from. I'm still trying to figure it out, and I think I need to do a couple more mushrooms to figure it out. I can tell you right now. (laughs) Best way, I'll give give you the answer right now. No mushrooms required. No but payment I, required you either. You don't to. have to move in anything. Here is what you do. You should friend zone them first. Oh, oh, I'm I've accomplished that for the past two decades. That that was my that was the just what happened with every girl no, no, I ever no. tried to pursue. It's not not something that happens. This is something you're gonna do. So the difference with being in the friend zone and friend zoning someone is 
you decide when they can come out, not they oh, decide when you can come out. You mean I put them in the friend right zone. off the bat? Never thought about it that way. Um, now you're go in on because I don't know where this is yeah, going. Here's get the thing because now you're no longer in, and this is what happens. And this is how I was raised. It, I never swore until after I left high school. That has wow. drastically changed. Okay. Now I left high school a virgin. <laughs> not very like, you know, I was I dated, but I wasn't. I was not skilled, shall we yeah, say? It wasn't yeah. an. It's a dating can be a learned skill. Some guys have right. it. You know, there's three categories: those that have it naturally, mm-hmm. those that can acquire it, and those that will never ever. There's just. I'm it's in just, the middle of those second. Days. No, you got to be real, real. Trust me. Trust okay. me. I've seen some. I've seen. You're definitely in the. It could be learned. If you can learn to ride a bike, you can do it. But there's just some guys who just, they 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 can't learn it. They can't learn to have a healthy relationship because they can't learn to take a look at themselves and fix what's going That's on. That's why I'm going to Susan. I'm. I'm See, exactly. Looking at myself. If you're introspective enough to look at yourself, you you can manage. And what ha- what it does is, so I was you know it was um. Shiny Knight, the yes man. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all been the relationship yes man thinking, I'm going to do the right thing. Sure, you can borrow money. Oh, next thing you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. next thing you know, she's she's screwing somebody else. You're crying into your, your pillowcase. <laughs> like, I mean, who hasn't been there? I've been, I've been so, in other iterations of that for sure. And so, you know, through that, and it wasn't until I lost my now wife, Melanie, that I was like, oh. I got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And I started reading and learning and trial and error. A lot of trial, a lot of error. Mm-hmm. More success than there was before. And eventually I got to a point where I was able, and I know Melanie may say this differently, but I was able to make, it wasn't a decision if she going to let me back into her life. I was in more of a driver's seat, like a 55, 45, we'll say split of, uh-huh. yeah, I'll date you now. And right. so it was a big... I had a lot of growing up to do. I'm sure she would say she did too. But what was interesting is I knew I could keep my end of the bargain up and I knew what I was doing. Whereas before I was just kind of shooting out, seeing if something sticks, mm-hmm. seeing if something would work, hold the relationship together for a couple months, mm-hmm. put some duct tape on it, keep it rolling. And so, you know, here we are seven, eight years later. Yeah, two kids. Time. Yeah, a long time. And so that's what inspired all this. And what I was saying with you is when you put somebody in the friend zone off the bat, it does one of two things. One, they can't put you in the friend zone because mm-hmm. they're already in it. And you can't <laughs> put somebody where you are. Okay. Two objects cannot occupy the same space. Okay. The other thing what it does is it changes you from being a passive participant in a relationship because whether it's a official Facebook official, shall we say, relationship, you have a relationship with everyone you come in contact with. I have a relationship with Everett, mm-hmm. father-son relationship. You and I have a friendship relationship. Mm-hmm. And what happens is by choosing to be their friend first, making them your friend in your friend zone, it will allow you to do two things. One, you won't have to put all the shit into what you normally would have to do when courting a female. And you can really relax. Because it, you and I, friends, right, are mm-hmm. you that 
uptight around me or with even some I of your female so. friends, say, at the gym? Uh, no, no. No, you don't really care. Why? No, I don't care because there's there's no consequences. There's no consequences. To, there's no well. I mean, there could if you do something fucked up, but there's no anticipatory consequence. Let's not, say you just keep going regular friend stuff. Yeah, there, you're not. There's nothing. There, you don't have any anticipatory stress over anything. You're just being with them. Like, and what's yeah. important is you vocally tell them. Yeah. We're we're just friends. Yeah. You're you're just gonna be my buddy. You say this to the girl. You that have your, yes, your you have running. to set okay. them straight. It can't be an implied thing. Okay, because then they have a chance to work it around to where they put you in it. All so right. you have to put the stamp on you're it. Stress me out right now. I really. You have to. <laughs> someone's got to drive the car. So would you? And they're gonna be the passenger. That's the okay. difference. You can't let them have the steering wheel right. of your your relationship life. Mm-hmm. And that's what people do is they want to give up control in hopes that things will work out. Oh, that was me my whole life. And, uh, yeah, it still, it still probably is. Yeah, and you can't just sit there and hope this relationship's going to work out. You have to yeah. steer it somewhere. And guess what? At the end of the day, if the only thing that happens is you end up with a really good friendship with someone mm-hmm. you are interested in, hey, not so bad. But what I found more than often happens following a certain this pattern mm-hmm. will be they will start to get interested in you. For one, people want things they can't have. Yeah. Two, they will want that control. Then, when you can fill it with, say, what, what kinds of things you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Name some things you're interested in. You are just solely like, this is my jam. This is what I like to do. Name, name some Me? things. Me? Uh, yeah. Yoga. Okay. Uh, 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 working out. Um, now, reading, which is weird because I used to hate reading. And let's just throw in one more. We'll throw in um, podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. I love them. Okay. So, what was the second one? It was yoga. Shoot. Uh, working out. Working out? Yeah. Okay, good. So because one of those things are actually things you would do with other people, I mean, you could say, hey, you want to go here and read, but that would be kind of weird. That would be really weird, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yoga, a lot easier. You can say, hey, this yoga class coming up. You want to go? I'll meet you there. And then they could either say yes or no. It doesn't really matter. You're just friends. Mm-hmm. But now you say you've got three women who you have identified as you're kind of interested in you wouldn't mind seeing if you were to date them but what you're going to do first is put them in the friend zone because you have to test them out and see what happens now you start building this up to where sooner or later a victor a clear person you want to hang out with more than the rest will arise and that's when by now you should have established a rapport where you don't have to sweat like is this person going to respond because here's what else people need to realize, and this is to any young men listening. People have shit going on in their lives. Yeah. People have fucking problems. And if someone's not texting you back right away, fuck them. It's probably their loss. And there's probably something going on with their life that they can't do it at the minute. What you do is you wait a week or two, shoot them something else. Like you, they never said no or never ignored your first one. Mm-hmm. You just keep plowing the field. And that's so the just, other way I got Melanie back. So give it some time and just text them like no time went by Persistence. Persistence. Anyone who thinks like... I tried this, this before. It did not work for me, I, but I probably did it wrong. I see this happen with, with guys and with people in business all the time. It is a client or someone doesn't respond. Oh my God, do you think I did this? And they just start picking apart everything. What you have to do is say, no, I'm doing me. I'm doing what I feel is right. If they're not ready right now, whatever. They might be ready in the future. Something I'll text them in a month. Because I'm doing this tactic right here with one of my side hustles where they approached me for uh, you know, the, what I'm making money with on the side. And um, they were all excited. And then 
they got really quiet, like real quiet. They approached me and then they stopped approaching me. But I've been at least once a week going back to them like there were no time went by at all. Like just checking in, like still interested. And it hasn't paid off yet, but it's keeping the thought in your mind. Yeah. And here's the other thing I would do is hit them with another angle of not whatever it pertained to before. I would do the invite of, and I'd keep it simple and minimal. And this is the other thing. People think they need to write sonnets to get somebody to go do something with me back in the day. Yeah, I write, (laughs) say there's, I don't know what kind of things are coming up. Christmas tree lightings, things that I pick something super lame, like the (laughs) lamest thing you can think of. Yeah. And then Christmas tree lighting. Well, not that these are lame necessary, but mundane, boring, like superficial shit. Yeah. Just tchotchke shit. And I'd say whatever it is a day and a time question mark. That's it. Okay. That's it. Just so put hooks out. Just throw out hooks. So it's uh, you know, it's not dinner. It's not a stressful nope. date environment. Nope. It's just like, hey, you just want to experience this with me. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Or like I'd it. even say, hey, looking for friends to go to da da da, because oh. then now that's the roundabout In- way. Intention's been set. Yes, that is the roundabout way of saying you're my friend. I'm not your friend. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, I like it. It puts you in the. Drivers? Not the not the aggressor friendship role, but uh, just in charge of your own self. You're in, like the the leader of the pack, friend. Yeah, you need okay. to be in charge. Here's the thing: people else they want to get somebody else to do something for them. They mm-hmm. want you to be my girlfriend. I want you to be my this. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong language. That's the wrong language. When you start saying "I want," "I want," "I want." you might as well never get it Mm -hmm. because when you get it, you're not really going to appreciate it or sooner or later you're going to want something else. Okay. You just kind of want to do it like instead of I want, you say I am, take it or leave it. I am this. I am Vin. I am Um, You've identified who you are, what you do, what you're Mm -hmm. about, what you enjoy. If you want to join me, you want to link your box car up to my engine mm-hmm. and go down the road a little bit sure but i may have to let you off if you can't hang i may have okay. to let you go i'm gonna be honest because these are the things that are important to me and these are the things that need to come first yeah and if you know this progresses we go from friendship trains to a love train mm-hmm. then we can talk about that then but these are my these are what i must have this is what i must do this is who i am and what i'm about I like what you're saying, Will Bradley. Yeah, because too many people want somebody else to come in. If off, oh, you know how many times I've heard off? Oh, they were just my girlfriend. If they just do this, if they do that, yeah, the problems still come up later in yeah. a different way. And the same person saying, oh, if they were just this, if they were just that, it's like, well, why? Say, why do they need to do that? Oh, because if they come here, then all oh, are you gonna have a better time because they come? Yeah. No, I mean maybe if you want to. You know, we don't want to fuck them. We want to fuck them. That's the hell. There's, there's sometimes, but you should be honest that that's, that's really just all it is. That's yeah. really just all it is. Right. But if it's because, no, they bring value to the event you're doing. They bring, you know, value to your life, whether they're funny, they're interesting, whatever it is, then you can do that from the friend zone. Uh, yeah. Well, I, uh, they're in the friend zone, not I, you in the friend zone. Agree, they have to be in your friend zone. I agree with all this because if you say I need this person to accomplish X, whether it's to be happy or to feel comfortable or whatever, you're probably identifying the wrong problem 
Yeah, because they're not going to make yeah, you happy. They're not the answer. I'll tell you right now. They're no just one a contributing is. factor to the overall picture. And the happiness enhances. Most of my life, uh, my MO was I won't be happy until I get a girlfriend because I felt. I've felt very lonely my whole life because there's been a general lack of a female presence. Uh, I mean, I really haven't been in a relationship before. And here's the thing. If you know the phrase, if there is no enemy within, then I shall fear no enemy. I think I've heard that before. Yeah. I don't know who is Sun Tzu or someone else. Lao Tzu. Uh, but what what the other way that works is if there is no loneliness in your heart, yeah, there will be no need to fill that loneliness mm-hmm. when you're out looking. And yeah. that's the thing is when you are a man who can provide everything you need emotionally and all that yourself and fulfill yourself, that's when you really start finding you are able to partake in these deeper relationships, which from the sounds of it, you're really looking for down the road. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not, and nor have I been for a long time, someone who's just looking for like a one night stand or a hookup. Like the, that's, it feels good, but it doesn't provide me any, any fulfillment or satisfaction uh, emotionally whatsoever. Like I'm just, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not something I chase after. Like I'm on Tinder. I have a ton of matches. I don't contact 99% of them. It's it's just like a distraction is all it is. Like I'm and, not looking and, for a hookup. And here's the thing: the first thing I would do is I would go on Tinder. Oh, am I, I was there? You. No, I, I'm saying I, I'm, I'm you yeah. in your shoes. Go on Tinder, match. I don't know how this works. Do you match someone and they, then they you like them and they have to like you back? And then what happens? And then you get then you can talk. Then to you each other. okay? Otherwise, so otherwise you'll to. never see him again. Basically. So once once you do that, that's when you need to hit them with the goofiest shit you can think of. Okay. Like you're tr- almost give me a Will Bradley goofiness. Okay, one, one, one. This worked on someone. Okay. I, told, I started. They were like, "What do you do?" You know, you do the what do you? And I said, "I'm a hot air balloon repairman." <laughs> and then I went down a whole thing on what I do, where I okay. work, and I just made it up. And at the end, they're like, "So, so it got into going with them on a hot air balloon ride, and because they have the festival out in is it on Madison? It was." Know. There's a hot air balloon festival near us. Yeah. So it led to me asking them to go to the hot air balloon thing. Mm-hmm. On the way out the door, it's like, yeah, just so you know, I have no idea about hot air balloons. But it'll be really fun to do this. <laughs> so, you know, and that's that's the thing. You okay. find an angle that – one second. That you aren't trying to be someone – one thing, you're not. You're not trying to be cool. You're not trying to impress anyone. Yeah. You're just trying to get out there, have positive vibes, and have fun. Mm. Now, there's also a way you can do that in which you can use, you know, your own real life stuff. If you know, making up things like that on the spot isn't mm. your thing. Like some guys are into professional wrestling, some are into yoga. Mm. You know, there's a lot of ways you can take these things you're interested in and spin them into ways of like, hey, I don't want to. I'm not looking to go on a date with you, but I'm looking for a girl to go to a yoga class with me okay. and then go that. Whoops. Oh, everyone wants the mic bad. He's learning from dad. You have the power when you talk to the microphone. <laughs> and now you're, you've just separated yourself from all the other guys, but you're now creating unique, fun experiences that even if, say, 
it doesn't go whatever, you can still go and have fun. So you're not wasting your time. Oh, yeah. So it's like, hey, I'm going to do this whether you go or not, but do you want to go? Yeah. You don't even have to say that. You just invite them. You put it out there, and they'll be like – and then here's the thing. Instead of doing like the direct route of like kissing and da-da-da-da-da, there's just a lot of silly shit you can mix in. Mm -hmm. Basically how you would hang out with Everett here, you can hang out with a girl in much like – I mean, I wouldn't recommend spoon feeding her baby yogurt, but <laughs> which I'm doing right now to Everett. But there's a lot of like these little you know, yeah, things that I know what you're saying. Kid, they still work now. I know what you're saying because there's a there's a side of my personality that almost nobody has ever seen. Very 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 few people have seen this side of my personality. In inherently, it's me at my core and at my best. It's, so tell me, tell me, tell me. This version of Vin. Describe this. 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 See now. This. I give. Is the you, I can give you. I know an exact. We strip the onions away, and I, when yeah. you leave the Will Bradley rehabilitation house, yeah. that's the man who leaves here. Right. Okay. So in, in the layers, and, uh, Susan helped me realize this about myself that I my thinking was all off on the the way that I went about tackling this. So, in a stripped down sense, the core of me is goofy. It's making people laugh. It's doing. So, uh, borderline embarrassing shit in public, uh, it, with no regard to who's watching, stranger or not. It's so an example would be I used to I was dating this girl once a couple years ago, and we were in like a Target or a Walmart or something, and we got to like the toy section. She had to buy a toy for her niece or cousin or something, and we get to the we get to the first aisle, and I just start I just start going and playing with everything like. Like I'm four years old, like making noise, verbally making noise, pressing all the buttons that make noise in the toy, fake falling down on the ground. I'm I'm kind of being a jackass, but not in a dickish way. Kind of like in a like goofy, a, I don't give goofy, a shit who's playful. looking at me kind of way. Right. And it was so much fun for me, and she was laughing her ass off. And it's a really, it's a really vulnerable place for me to put myself. When I am in the company of a female that I am extremely fond of, and I know that they are feeling it back, let's say, because I won't mm-hmm. do it in front of a stranger, and I don't do it in front of most people, but when I know that there is some kind of connection there, I will allow myself to kind of lift the shade and show that side of me and just be a complete goofball. Like I, I will make the biggest ass of myself purely to make this – whoever the female is in the scenario laugh. Like if they laugh, I've accomplished my goal. And it's usually like hysterical laughter. It's not like a little chuckle. And like, it's kind of a test at the same time. It's like, I'm letting you see who I really am, the side of me that no one gets to see. How do you respond? And the key with that is, and this is where a lot of guys <clears throat> take a wrong turn, is they, they turn it into being the class clown or the self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. And the key is to be the showman. Yeah. Not... You know, you want to be the greatest showman. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy everyone's pointing and laughing at. And that. Yeah, no, she's not laughing at me. She's laughing with me because I'm having a fucking blast. Yeah. When I'm doing. I love it, but I have, I almost never allow myself to do it. I'm always withdrawn from that. And but here's I know. the problem with that. And here is where you want to nip it right in the bud, if you will, is the more you let it out, the more you refine it, and the more that becomes who you are. Okay, I'm glad you said that because... When I started going to Susan, I was like, I need a girl. It's the only time 
that that side of me comes out. And I want that to be my normal state of being all the time. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa stop, s- s- re- reverse, stop, stop talking, hold on. So you're saying that the only reason you do that is because a girl's in front of you? And I'm like, well, I mean, no, no, it's, I feel comfortable enough to do it. Like, that's me. I want that. That's, that's my natural state of being. I just kind of hide, like subconsciously hide it from people. And she's like, then it's, it's not, it's not the girl you should be chasing. You should, you should be working on, if that's really who you are, that should be who you are. And I'm not intentionally hiding it. It's, it's, uh, it's a self-confidence issue because oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it really is the most... Because you're told not to be that way. It's my up. most vulnerable state, basically. It's like the, the curtain is completely to the roof. Like there's nothing protecting me once I allow myself to go there. And what are you protecting? It's, oh, it's, it's fear. It's embarrassment. It's exactly. Because if, if it, when it's in the right scenario, I don't feel embarrassment. I feel complete and utter like joy. Like it, it's all the weight of the world is off my shoulders and it's just, I'm a goofball. Like there's, there's no, I lose my, that filter that people have because of the fear of embarrassment or, or being vulnerable. It's like stress. I have no stress. I can walk around with a pep in my step. I just am really jazzed to be doing whatever I am in that moment. It doesn't matter what it is. And, and here's the thing. The fear of embarrassment is a, it's kind of those one of those things that so many people it can stifle people. Oh, it's very cri- it's crippling. Exactly, yeah. cripple them, and yet there's really no harmful consequence other than you. No, there's no nothing. It's there's all no, it's, it's not. I mean, yeah. you're not getting stabbed. Some no. people would rather be stabbed than be embarrassed in public, and that's where you need to get used to. There's the thought of there's nothing that can embarrass me. There's nothing that can overcome me. No matter what the situation yeah. is, I will be comfortable in that. It's like if you were to crap, if say we were at the gym right now in front of the workout class, and this is something I've worked out in my head because it's been close before, and I just crap my pants and I had, and I'm in the middle of class, and everyone's looking at me, I'd be like, well, that's a bad day. I'm going to go home, change. I will be right back. Yeah, so there's now, two ways you can handle that situation. You can handle it like that where you're in control of your emotions, right. not the people. And that's something right. Susan teaching me. is like you're, they're not in control. You're allowing no. them to be in control. Exactly. And then the other way is you can just lean into it like that, and you can make it a – you can really kind of be the victor in the situation even though you're in probably the most uncompromising position you could ever be in a gym aside from – being naked i guess snapping your neck i was dying i was gonna say yeah Yeah. um yeah no that's that's it it's if embarrassment it's not in other people's hands it's only there if you allow them to control the narrative basically and and here's what's beautiful about that is that works with everything everything is in your hands and that's what so many people fail to realize like that michael jackson song man in the mirror <laughs> yeah. like everything is the man in the mirror yeah. you're the answer to everything when i uh when i decided to quit the day job that's when i started taking control again yeah and you know i went to susan for the relationship i'll call it a issue uh, or a scenario we'll call it but what ended up coming out of it and i still go to her so we're not even i haven't even gotten to the part with her that I went to her for originally, but what we, what we, we, we made a pit stop on the way to that. And she determined it's not the female it's you need for film. You need to be it's happy. Vin. You need to be happier as you. And that is what led me to looking at my, 
my life's fulfillment, not a girl to make me feel fulfilled. Like I had to be in control. And she's like, you hate, she, she pretty much pinpointed you, uh, your job. You're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. She's like, I can see in you that you should not be sitting at a desk all day. It's not, it's not for you. Um, and you're never going to have happiness doing it. You're forcing it. Um, and one of the reasons I'm sure she's she's kind of walking you down this path is you will be a more fulfilling partner. Oh yeah, if you're fulfilled, that's the thing. People look for other people to fill these gaps in themselves, and they never fill the gap themselves, and they never realize it's that person in the mirror is the only one that can fill the gaps. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, she's helped me and and helping me realize that really I'm I have the ability to control a a vast majority of what I go through on a day-to-day and I'm in control of my emotional response to it and I need to stop letting other people dictate my emotions so I read a book forgot which one it was but it was pretty much like you can't you can't give the power of your emotions to objects to your career to other people soon as you can soon as your happiness is defined by x y or z x y or z is now in control of your mental state a hundred percent and you're you're in no control whatsoever and soon as soon as you regain control over over how you respond to things because that's what it comes down to is you're you're dictating your emotional response and your your withdrawing your emotional attachment to things that used to dictate your emotional response. So it's like if I pull back from an emotional attachment to a job, now that job can't piss me off anymore. It's it's just something part of my life. If I if I regain control over my emotional response to women, now they can't control my happiness anymore. They're just they're just there and I can enjoy them or not enjoy them and that's the thing yeah. a person you date is there to enhance your yeah. experience and i was trying the experience i was trying to i was i was allowing women to dictate who i am basically mm-hmm. i was i was putting all of my power in am i in a relationship am i not in a relationship is she looking at me is she talking to me why isn't she responding and when you give your po- all of your power to something, and I've talked about this a little bit in other in, o- in other uh, topics with Ryan on his podcast before, it's like when you when you give your power to something else, that something else, whatever it is, is now in complete control of you, and it's all about taking the power, kind of taking the power back, and as uh, soon as you regain the power, you can. It's all it's all state of mind. I mean, it's it's not. It's not that thing or that person who's controlling anything. They they owe one, you nothing. One second, I'm gonna see if yeah. I can get him down. All right, got the little man, Ababa. Should be good to go. And so, one thing I want to touch on is this, and this comes up a ton. And it is the why aren't they? And it's usually writing back or responding or whatever. Oh yeah. And I'll tell you the reason right now because it's always the same reason. It doesn't matter. Mm-mm. They got shit going on, and that's why they're not writing back. But I'll tell you this, and this is the beautiful part. You wait a week, write them again. They don't write back. Wait another week, month. 
I would text Melanie every month when we had a date, no matter what was going on. And a lot of times I did not get written back. Mm-hmm. And I can tell this because I've seen it work multiple times for different people. Eventually, I would say 99% of the time, they write you back eventually. So I used to, uh, I used to fall into that trap. And, you know, I, I might still. It's just been a really long time since I've been in this situation. But uh, I used to be the guy that was like, it's been 10 minutes. Why haven't they texted me back yet? Ten. You always set that like thing in your mind is if they don't write me back by all right this time I'll I'll stop caring or oh, I'll yeah. write them again yeah. or if they don't and you deadlines. set these little wait yeah these de- you give them deadlines in your mind that never matter <laughs> so I used to get re- I had a very poor attitude with it and and again I might still I don't know uh, where if if I reach out to them and they don't answer me back after let's just say a a day um, I'll reach out again and if they don't respond again. I'm like, dude, this is your last chance. Like, in my mind, I'm like... <laughs> You're so dead to me if you don't write back. And that's what it was. If I don't hear from... If, if they don't respond after three attempts, they're emotionally, they're dead to me. They may as well be in a coffin. I'm not saying they physically should be dead, but I don't give a fuck about them anymore. If I was interested, I'm no longer interested. They're not hot anymore. They're not fun anymore. They may as well live in Guam. Like, I lose 100% um, uh, what's the word? Enthusiasm about them as a person. Like whatever attraction I had to them, it melts completely away, and they're officially the ugliest person in the world. Which you're only doing so you can protect yourself and oh, not yeah, have yeah, to, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah of course with... I still like them. Yeah. yeah, of course. But the funny thing about that is, they their phone could be broke. They could be with their grandma. There could be a million and one reasons they're not writing back. Yeah. And, that, and but people <laughs> get caught up in it. But the man in the mirror says, "Oh, they don't like you." Right. So why should I like them? Right. You can't listen yeah, to that guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you got to replace that yeah. with, they will write me back. And that's all I can say is you got to keep telling yourself that no matter what's going on. And usually it works. Dude, I used to do this with more than just women. I mean, I, if, if a friend stopped texting me back, I'd be like, fuck this person. I see grown adults doing it with clients. I see it happen. Yeah. I see grown adults doing it. And that's where yes, that, that believing in yourself and believing that it will work out for you. I think I'm losing that because... N- I'm uh, I'm starting to get to the point in my life where I'm busy a lot, and I'll get text messages sometimes, and it might be two days before I respond, and I'm like, "Fuck!" I just turned into the person that I used to condemn. Yeah. And I and I'm like, "Oh, I get it now." It's sometimes you just don't want to respond. But it's so much easier to be harder on that person than you because you've got stuff going on. Well, <laughs> I've done a lot of self growth, and I think I'm starting to actually see who I actually am. And, and here's the beautiful thing, because all the things you talk about you are inside because of your new position you can work on at your job you can turn yourself into the person while you're coaching so we've we've gone down this rabbit hole but for those of you who don't know (laughs) vin what happened when you left these terrible yeah we can we can uh we can wrap this back or or swing back i'm gonna pause this real quick one more time to get his blankie all right so back to it by the way, thank you everyone for hanging in with us on the podcast. I know there's a lot of baby jargon in the background and things dropping, but hey, we're making our way through it. Thanks for hanging on with us. So, Vin, you left behind the corporate world. How? Okay. So, I, I said earlier, it's a lot because of the work that I do with Susan. Um, she started making me realize that I was 
so unhappy because I was going down a path that I, I shouldn't have been on, and it was mostly career-based because all I was doing was working when I met her. She then got me to quit Lava. Or she motivated me to, to make the decision to quit Lava because she could tell how run down I was. So I quit Lava. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm a lot happier now. And then I quit MetLife. And I find the job that I just came from, the, the, the other office job, the other kind of office job where it's not corporate America. It's, um, it's uh, a big loft environment. It's a tech startup. Oh, it's, um, it's really relaxed. There was no dress code whatsoever. It was, you could come and go as you please, and that was great. And then it, what it ended up turning out to be is just a different kind of desk job. I was still at a desk all day. Um, and when I was there, John Bartholomew, the owner of Mall Valley Wellness, he, he approached me. He's like, hey, Vin, I, uh, I want to have a conversation with you. You got any time this week? So he sat me down one night. And he was like, long story short, I wanna, I'm curious if you want to be a coach on the staff. And I'm like, you're talking to me, you know, right? It's not, it's not one of those athletes out in the other room. Um, I, I don't have any experience or training. And he's like, listen, you don't, you don't need to be a certified fitness professional to be a good coach. It's, it's personality-based. I've been watching you move for the past six or seven years. I, I, I can tell that you are someone who cares about technique and moving properly and staying safe. And I, I know that you care about other people doing the same. And you're a, good, you're, like, you're a nice guy. You're a good guy. You're not an asshole. So if you're interested... I'm offering you an opportunity to basically be a coach on the staff. And in that single second, and it's a, it's a really cliche metaphor, but a light bulb went off in my head. It was like, it literally like the room brightened up. And I was like, uh, yeah, I've, I've been watching people move here for years. And every time I see someone squat, my mind subconsciously goes to how could they squat better? Like, is their ankles, are, do they have tight ankles? Do they have an impingement in their hips? And uh, he's like, awesome. Um, we'll be in touch. Uh, it'll, it's going to start soon. And then a day with, actually inside of that same meeting, I realized that there was a yoga teacher training being offered, uh, I think the next, the following month. Or it might, might even have been starting later that week or something. Um, so I'm like, Yoga, fitness, they literally complement each other. Like one's recovery, one's activity. It makes sense. So I'm like, I agreed to John. I'm like, yes, thank you. And I, um, what's that? <laughs> so I, uh, I agreed to John. And in that same moment, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to join teacher training because I had been on the fence about it. I was like, I didn't, I liked yoga. I was doing yoga as, as a, as a participant of it. I had never, I had, I had never once given the consideration to being the instructor, the, oh, thank you. Um, so as John offered me that position, I made the decision that I won't, I wasn't only going to coach. I was going to go into yoga teacher school, which was, it was uh, eight months. And I was like, well, shit, that's going to be a huge endeavor. 
Um, it's a long, it's a long, that's a big scheme, commitment in the scheme of things. Eight months is it's like a day it's, or, or like a second of your life or, or less even, um, in the moment you're like, fuck eight months. God damn it. It's almost a year. It's like, it's a long fucking time. Um, and at that point I hadn't realized that this was going to become my new future. It was just going to be something that I could supplement my career with to make sure that I'm doing something that's fulfilling. So I start co- shadow, I shadow coaching. Uh, I, I think I sat in on like two or three classes. I just followed the coach around. Um, and it surprised me that I was doing it in the moment because I have always had a crippling fear of like public, public speaking. I didn't, and I was still not fully sociable yet. Like I was still withdrawn from that seven years of MetLife and everything and exhausted from lava. And uh, I'm like, is this going to work out? It's like, I'm not good with people. I'm, I'm fucking shit with people. Like, I'm terrible. I don't, I'm not good at holding conversations. I don't approach people to speak ever. It doesn't matter if, I, if, 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 if it's a female I'm interested in. I'm just not good at talking to people unless they're really good at talking to people. <laughs> um, they have to lead the conversation. Is this going to work out? And it was pretty much like take it a class at a time. And uh, one of the classes I was just supposed to shadow, they're like, you can, we can switch roles if you want. You could be the leader and I'll just shadow you. And I'm like, clear my throat. Uh, Okay. So uh, I led the class and uh, it wasn't hard. I'd never done it before ever, but it wasn't hard. It, uh, it almost, I was like, whoa, like uh, there was no struggle there. All of a sudden, I could talk. I could talk to people. I can. I could dictate. I can instruct. Um, this uh, tool that must have already been inside of me just presented itself, unbeknownst to me at the time. Like I didn't. I didn't know that I had that. It was. Uh, it was like an untapped, like vein, basically. Um, and you know, cliche metaphor, an untapped vein. I found gold when I taught that first that first fitness class. I was like dude that was fun and when i left i had like the biggest energy burst like it was no caffeine trip or anything has ever made me feel like so lifted uh i was exhausted walking into the gym from work and when i left after coaching it's like i woke up it's uh i wasn't ready to go to bed like i wanted to like i wanted to fucking skip like i was like like happy and I'd, I'd never experienced, I hadn't experienced joy or pure bliss like that since I was like a little kid and playing with like my first video game or something. Um, and I, I was, I was blown away. I was like, whoa, I didn't, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know that making money could contribute to your, to enthusiasm or, or energy. Like it. So I, I coached uh, like a class or two a week for a couple weeks, and every time that I went, I left. I left with more energy than I went in with, and I was going in with no energy because I was staring at a computer all day before that. So I'd come in just miserable and like dull-headed and just tired and exhausted and non-sociable, and I would leave. It was like the light kept coming back on every time I left the gym and I was like well I gotta do this more like a lot more like I can't this can't uh, 
I need to do this more than a night or two a week. And in this process, I started yoga school. And uh, I didn't like yoga school at first uh, at all. Uh, we weren't doing enough of it. And it was just a lot of sitting Indian style on the floor. And I'd leave like all in pain because how long we were just sitting there. And then halfway through yoga school, we started doing more. We, we, the learning was starting to wither as we were starting to actually, um, from a practical standpoint, figure out how we were going to be yoga teachers. And now I'm, we taught like a mock class. And I was like, well, that wasn't that fucking bad. Because it's easy coaching the fitness class because the workout's on the board. I can just turn my head and I, my path is on the board. When, I'm, when you're a yoga teacher, it's in your head. And... You don't have notes to reference or a board to look at or a no safety. clock. There's no yeah. There's no there's no uh, there's no clocks on the wall in yoga studios. Um, you're supposed to withdraw from that constant desire to know what time it is and just sit in the moment. Um, so how how do how the hell do I know how long a 45 minute class is? It's like shit. I'm gonna have to practice this at home or something. Figure out the timing. Um, and I taught my first class. You know, I wasn't paid for it or anything. It was just training. And I went into it completely fucking petrified because I had to remember in an, an hour and 15 minutes worth of Oof. dialogue, basically. And I'm realizing now I didn't have to memorize dialogue. I just, you need to, there, there's just no. just need to move them from one position to the next. Yeah, there's not like a yoga script. Like if, if you're a yoga teacher and you're following a script, you're probably not the best yoga teacher you can be. It's supposed to come, it's supposed to pour from you basically um and after that first class i was like that wasn't that bad i don't need like notes on the board i i know the poses i just have to get better at knowing how to link them together and have smooth transitions and i realized that you know it when you're a new yoga teacher you think you're dog shit and you think you're never going to be good because you, you rely on notes. Because the first couple times you get in front of people, you have notes. Um, and that's, that's during training. It's not during active classes. So, uh, you know, it's, when you're new, you think you're going to be shit because you're so reliant on the notes. And uh, I realized very, very shortly after I taught my first official class, which I wasn't allowed to – my final was my first official class, and I was not allowed to use notes. And it was an hour and 15 minutes. And I had this awesome sequence planned out, and I had all these talking points planned out. <laughs> and like the You're going to be the smart yoga guy. Oh, I'm going to say the coolest shit. They're going to fucking I'm going to be so me. profound, so yeah, in touch uh, with my yin and yang. They're going to leave, and they're going to learn something about their life that they didn't even know existed. Well, now I'm done with them. And uh, you, you get humbled to that real quick because all that dialogue that's in your head the night before – 10 minutes before that class starts and you're like, I don't even know fucking English right now. It's like you, oh, yeah. you lose the ability to speak. And then the second, the second the green light went for me to go, it was like light bulb went off again. And all of a sudden it all, all of it came back to me. And I had these fun metaphors and people were laughing and they were following my instruction. Every single word I said, they were like waiting on and I was officially in control of like 20 something people. And I was like, dude, this is cool. It's like, it was, it, it was coaching and then some because coaching, you know, you're in control, but you give them direction and then they go use that direction for X amount of time. And then you just make like, 
technique correction, posture suggestions, maybe something to enhance, uh, maybe to help them understand their body better. With yoga, there's no there's no lag time. You just you keep talking uh, a vast majority of the time. Keeps flowing. Yeah, it doesn't stop because you feel like taking a mental break. You have to keep instructing. And I realized uh, I didn't actually have to stop. Um, the The biggest realization I made is new yoga teachers don't think they're any good, or they may struggle. It's not because they don't. They don't know the words. It's because they don't have a, a fluency in the language of yoga. And when you become more proficient and more fluent in that language, you you just talk conversationally. There's no mental struggle. You, I thought forever I was going to live and breathe by notes. I was like, how am I ever going to teach without notes? How, how am I going to teach without planning out every single second of this hour and 15-minute class? And... I got to the point where I wasn't allowed to use notes for that first final. And ever since then, I haven't used notes. And every time I teach now, the less prep I have to do for the, that class. So like I used to go into each class that I taught. This is what I'm going to send them through. These are going to be the transitions. I just got to remember the details. And I don't have to worry about talking points. The talking points will come naturally. But I got to remember, you know, down dog's going to flow to this, or this is going to flow to that. Um, and I went into knowing the whole sequence, and I saw yoga teachers. I would ask them, I was like, how do you, uh, how do you keep track of what you're going to do? And your wife, Melanie, is probably the first one who kind of slapped me in the face with this tidbit of information. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to fucking do before class. I was going to say, Melanie's the queen of just making it up. Yeah, she she's goes. like, I have no goddamn idea what I'm going to tell these people. I just do it. it yeah, I just, can tell you what her prep is because I've seen it and it doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> I'm to that. I'm getting. I'm getting there right now. Is where I'm. Where I'm getting at is, um, I you know I all the yoga teachers that trained me, they don't, for the most part, go into a class with a plan. They just go into class, as if they're hanging out with people, and because they're fluent in the language, they can just talk. They they don't have to. There's no mental effort. It's uh, it's like learning CrossFit, for example. Now I'll apply that to dating. To da- I don't have the language. I'm not fluent. That's all you, so you know why? Influence. You know why? Because yeah. I had never practiced it. Exactly. So I'm very inproficient to that conversation or that, that, that language. I don't have it. I was never trained in it. I had no trainer. I wasn't guided very well. Um, and I did nothing. That's true. There's no eight-month intense class. No, 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 no. There was no one telling me, hey, yes or no. It it was, I was left to my own devices, and I'm not a very, I'm not in tune with myself very well. I'm becoming in tune with myself as I work on, you know, my shit basically. Um, but when I was a kid, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't know that I had the tool to self-correct basically. No, I don't think a lot of people do. No, and it's not something that someone can just tell you. You have, you have to experience it to yeah. for that light bulb to come on and I, I just never indulged it you know dating and women was all it was always clunky for me it was uh I was stuck I stumbled a lot I didn't know what to do it never got easy it never yeah. got easier either um and then it just got to the point where I spent so many years just stumbling over my own foolishness and not I was taking no measures to get better I wasn't practicing I wasn't training anything um 
it got to the point where I just kind of stopped trying, which is mm-hmm. really bad to say. I mean, it's it's the 40-year-old virgin problem without the virgin problem. Because like, in the movie, he had so many bad experiences with sex, he just stopped trying. And that's kind of what happened. I just kind of stopped trying. I got sick of getting slapped in the face emotionally, like time over time over time. I just need to get fluent in language, and it it won't be so it won't be effortful basically because right now it's it's very effortful for me mm-hmm. to have a conversation with a stranger like like it's it exhausts me and like, I'm using so much mental power just to stay in the moment that I end up getting tight like physically drained and that's why like any muscle you should just start going yeah to gas you got to use it more strike up conversations yeah. so I mean it's really what I have to do is I just have to stop being like a pussy and gas stations are a great place for it gas stations yeah the, Dude, the only people i am ever next to at gas stations are elderly people and well there's a person at the uh checkout you haven't seen the people that are at the checkout aisles oh i gas have stations i go to they doesn't are, matter doesn't are, matter who it is that's the point that's the point uh, well that's actually training. a good point because it doesn't ma- yeah, that's a good okay fair touche i i there, agree actually there, completely. i agree there in lies the greatness it's of not the gas talking station. to girls it's just talking to it's people just talking it's just that's talking the point why they're in the friend zone here's the weird thing when people are good talkers and they can they can kind of make suggestions where the conversation is going. I turn into a fantastic speaker. Like I've had no problem talking to you. This has been a very uh, effortless conversation. And do you know why? It's not about I don't the care. talking. It's about the listening. Well, you, yeah, you can't be a good podcaster if you are not listening to the person that's, in front of you. And that's the other mistake men make on dates. They don't. Is they want to keep talking about themselves, mm. like they're building a resume. Let me tell you how great I am. Yeah. Instead, well, okay, so there's a prop. There is a problem that why men do that. I think, and I think it's Wait. because I'm not going to say it's all women's fault, but I will say, generally speaking, a lot of women feel like men have to prove their worth to them, and it's how much are you going to work for me? Because there's been a lot of girls who won't even look my direction until I show them my devotion or my commitment to them. And their attention. And here's the thing. I say, I'll prove it in my actions. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I'll prove it in my actions. And then you underwhelm them with your words. That's what other people that you don't understand too is the value of underwhelming women with your words, but overproducing with your actions has a phenomenal effect. I'm not going to lie. When, when I'm in under the fold of, of a, uh, a mutual uh, detour, someone I'm – dating or even beyond that i am really 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 good with people i'm good with her i'm charming i don't need to say a lot i i'm very thoughtful i'm i'm a better a better dater when i'm dating it's just getting into the dating that's it's not being in a relationship that i struggle with i'm great at that it's getting that it's getting it's getting past the fight the the first gun like the fight like the past the starting it's like doing homework it sucks until you start it i'm i'm sh- i'm shit at it it's like I and that's just, practice yeah uh yeah and so oh ba- yeah life what is life now for you okay so uh i basically i was coaching and i was instructing yoga and i thought it was forever just going to be a side pleasantry and then and again, I thought it was a, only a pleasantry because I was—I grew up in an environment that basically taught me you have to have a certain type of job and follow a certain type of path 
and everything else is bullshit. You have to make money. That's nothing else matters. Make money, find a wife, go into debt. They're not in no so many words, but that was the message. Get a job to make money, use the money to buy a house, fill the house with family. Um, and I don't think many people will disagree with me. That's a path that we're, a lot of people were raised into. So I, Ryan Parr, who you've had on the show, I've been on his show, I'm sure you've been on his, he, uh, he had been dripping motivation to me for years. Uh, and John, John Bartholomew has also dripped motivation to me in, in, in drips, like an IV. Um, and I, I don't know if it was John or it was Ryan, but they presented merely a, a notion in my thought. It's like, if it wasn't for the money, what would you do with your life? Knowing what you know about coaching and yoga, take the money out of it. Or where does your happiness lie? Do you want to work at a desk the rest of your life? Do you want to do something that makes you happy? And I was like, well, yeah, I want to make something that makes me happy, but I, I have a, I got a mortgage. It's like I got a mortgage. I have insurance to pay. I have a car loan. I have credit card debt. I, I have this. I have that. And they're like, you can fix the financial part. You get out of debt, and all of a sudden money's, money doesn't mean shit anymore. Um, so I started, I started sitting on that thought, and, it, and it, it wasn't immediate, but eventually it came to me. It's like the problem is not the job. It's this fear of not having enough money so they're like get out of debt and you can solve that problem so i worked on getting out of debt you know ryan's and tim uh previously at the gym tim they both suggested that uh, total money makeover book by dave ramsey well i'm like yeah i'll give it a shot i could use to get out of debt and uh, i basically over the course of uh since last may until about a month two months ago yeah made to uh made to about september I worked on getting out of debt. I stopped buying luxuries. I sold pretty much all of my luxuries. I got rid of pretty much everything that I thought I loved. My computer, this gigantic television that I had just purchased a few months before that I had been hankering for for, for God, years. Um, I sold a bunch of stuff. And I realized in selling it that I didn't really care about any of that stuff. It was all superficial appearance bullshit. I didn't need any of it. So I sold all my stuff. I made better use of my income. And I paid off almost all of my debt. I'm almost debt-free aside from my house. And uh, I owe a little bit left on my car, which I actually don't owe again until May. So I have a nice time where I don't really owe anything anywhere aside from my house. So uh, I got out of debt. And then the plan was... In the sp you're going to save money now until the spring. And then you're going to have a nest egg. And then you're going to quit your job. And you're going to coach and do yoga. That was the plan. Um, make sure you protect yourself with a nest egg. And you have a, a, a living expense fund. So that when you quit, you know, you're going to make less money. You will have something to protect you, a safety net, while you build your new income. Uh, so that was the plan. I was going to save till spring, April, May, whatever it is. And then uh, shit started to get real stressful at my day job at the, at the, um, the tech company. And I was like, uh, man, this is getting harder and harder and harder to be here. The boss is starting to tell that I'm checked out mentally. I don't know how much, I really don't know how much longer I can do this for. Um, so uh, I was like, I was basically like, fuck it. Uh, 
I'm just going to take all this money I have saved up that I was going to finish paying my car off with, and I'm just going to put it in my savings account. I have, I, it almost hit me all at once. I have the nest egg that I need. It was there. I was going to use it to pay off a car loan, but I was like, no, like I can't, I can't do this job for six more months. I'm going to, I'm going to get fired before because I'm so mentally checked out. I'm never going to last. And if I get fired, I'm, that's not going to be good. Uh, so, uh, I be, I quit. I, um, I fast tracked my, uh, plan six months in, in, in advance. I quit. I let the gym know. I'm like, listen, I'm quitting in a week or two. What do you got for me? And they're like, we'll give you everything we can. Um, you're going to take over every hour you want basically from the, the gym. So I quit on a Friday and on the following Monday, I found myself going from teaching two or three classes a week to two or three classes a day. Um, and almost it was the first day that first Monday having no security that I was going to be able to pay my mortgage long-term. Um, I woke up way later than normal. I had all this mental clarity. I sat and I thought, and I read, I had nowhere to be until noon. The earliest class I teach right now is noon. So I basically just woke up over coffee. I sipped coffee. I just chilled out. I was like, is this what it's like to be happy? Like, I have nowhere to be right now. I, I didn't, the, I, there was no stress to waking up anymore. I can start some new habits. I can be productive in the morning doing personal stuff. I'll go coach. I'll work out after. I'll go home. I'll rest. And uh, I'll go back and coach a little later. And that's kind of my day now. Um, and you know, for years people were like, if you, what would your perfect day look like? Now that I'm thinking, actually, as I'm saying it, I'm realizing I'm living the life that I've been telling people I wanted to live for years. They would ask me, what do you want to do? What would your ideal life be? I'd be like, I would wake up later in the morning. I'd go to a cafe and I'd sip coffee and I'd read a newspaper or something and just kind of hang out. And then I would go do something that I want to do. And then I would rest and I would go do other things I want to do, and then I would rest. And it didn't, there was never work injected into that formula. None, that, that, that fantasy never involved work, which is perfect because coaching and doing yoga does not feel like work to me. It's, it feels like I'm hanging out with other people who are working out, and all I'm doing is I'm just giving them guidance, basically. And as I was just telling that to you, I realized I am now doing what I've been telling people for years my ideal day would be. I now wake up. You live in your perfect day. Every single day of the goddamn week. Uh, I wake up later than normal. I read and I sip coffee in my house, not in a cafe. But I do I do read and sip coffee when I wake up now. I'm, I go do something I want to do, coach, and work out. I go home and I rest, so I'm resting like I wanted to, and then I go back and do more stuff that I want to do, whether it's coaching or yoga at the night, and then I come home and I rest again. I'm officially living that fantasy life, and I'm also realizing as I'm exploring this new lifestyle that money's not nearly as much of uh, a fearful thing. Um, I have, I'm making more and more money the more I indulge these things I like. The more I allow myself to 
go after these these fantasy things, the more money is finding me. It's like, in, and I put up a quote on, on Facebook a couple weeks ago. It's like, uh, passion plus, what, how did it go? It said, uh, passion, it was like passion plus technique equals uh, income or something like that. Uh, basically, put effort towards a passion and money will find you is basically what it said. Um, and that's what's happening. I'm indulging something I want to do. I'm putting effort into the, what I want to do. And income is, is a finding me and it's approaching me. Uh, more and more now, new ways to make money are approaching me. I'm not looking for them anymore. I'm no, I'm no longer searching for the perfect salary or the perfect job. I've found the perfect job and now salary is finding me. And that's my day now. I wake up, I read and drink coffee, I go coach, I work out, I do some fun social media stuff, make videos for the, the class that I coach and give them those videos online. I go home and I rest, I go back and I coach or teach yoga, and then I go home and I coach again. And in between there, I indulge some some uh, side hustles. I do Uber and Lyft, I drive, I'm a driver when I want to, there's no boss telling me when I have to do it. So if I'm bored or I wanna make an extra buck, I turn the app on and I'll, all of a sudden I'm making money again. And I have that side, I sell CBD oils on the side, which is not effortful at all. And so I have income streams consumed purely of things that I want to do. And uh, that's my life, man. I coach, I drive, I sell CBD oils, and uh, I teach yoga. <laughs> so if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody who may be in an office right now yeah. and in the same place you were, what would it be? I think a lot of people will balk at what I'm about to say, but there is a lot of truth to it. Um, if you feel like you're stuck doing a job that you do not like to do or you don't feel fulfillment from and you feel stuck because of your finances or, your, or you have a family, I can tell you that you are chasing false pursuits. Uh, you actually can do what you want to do. The trouble is not finding what you want to do. Everybody, whether, they're, whether they can acknowledge it or not, they know what they want to do. The, 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 the task is not finding that thing. The task is, it, it usually comes down to finances. People don't, won't quit their job because they say they can't afford to. You can't afford to right now. But how willing are you to make your financial situation more, more conducive to your, the lifestyle that you want? Um, figure out how to get your finances in order. Get your get your ass out of debt. Being a, being debt free, I can't ever verbally fully explain how mentally cl it's it, it comes with so much mental clarity. Um, when your mind is clear and not consumed with a stress of a job you don't like, or debt that you have to pay. You, the the your the way your mind works it's it's going to go back to the way that your mind worked when you were a kid and were a free thinker but you're going to have all the all the knowledge and education of an adult if that's the best way i can put it is you you think you feel free like a child but you think 
with the intellect of adult, not the common sense of adult, the intellect. You have all the intelligence you always had, but now you can think without a filter. You know, you don't have to worry about fineness. So basically that's my advice. If you know that what you're doing right now is not what you want to do forever and it's not fulfilling, get yourself out of debt. And I promise the answer to how to do what you want to do, it will come to you. You just need to have, you have to have an open mind and you have to be ready to, if you're in a big debt hole, don't look at the long-term picture of how much debt you have to pay off and how it's going to take X amount of time to do it. Dude, just start, just start paying it off. And if, if you're struggling to figure out where you're going to rub two more nickels together to pay off debt and you feel like you're, ex- you're overextended and there is no more money, I can almost assure you you're wrong and it's, you're just making an excuse to prevent yourself from starting what could be a very monumental task of getting out of debt. Most people can pay off their debt. They are just unwilling to change their lifestyle and fork the money over for it. They want to continue living this usually superficial lifestyle. I have this big, beautiful house. Do you need that big, beautiful house? Sell the shit. Get a smaller place. Lower your mortgage. Or rent. I mean, spend less money on your... You you only need a four walls and a roof to live. You don't need a mansion or whatever the house is. Sell the house. And John's doing. John's been doing it too. He sold his house. He made it an in income property, and now he's got more money to play with to indulge other ventures. You don't have to live in the house you're. And if you think you have to live in the house you're living in, that's e- it's it's ego. That's all it is. Is ego. It is, it's appearances. You want people to see you living in that house. You don't need that house. If it's your car that's holding you back because your car payment is $600 a month, you don't need that car. You just need an engine and four wheels and a body. Sell the freaking car, get rid of the payment, and buy something cheap. It gets you from A to B. I was about to sell my car, but I, I re, re-realized that I can make money with my car, with Uber and Lyft, so I've not sold my car. But if you're not making money off the car, you're throwing money away off on it. Sell it, get something cheaper, or get something that doesn't require a payment, and all of a sudden you've just solved $600 a month worth of debt that you can pay towards your credit card or to whatever you're spending. So it's like there's answers to everything. It's just people are unwilling because they want – because a lot of people are ego-driven. They're not they're, – they're driven by superficial false gains, what people – all they see is what other people see. They put too much weight in uh, appearances. Stop caring what people think, and you will find how easy it is to get out of debt. You just have to make some sacrifices that most are not willing to make. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Vin, if people want to follow you, hook up with you, contact you, where should they find you? Oh, let's see. Um... I'm on the Instagrams, uh, Vin underscore Chenz, C-H-E-N-Z underscore Canarelli. Uh, I'm on the Facebooks. Uh, I actually don't know my name on Facebook. I don't know if it's just Vin. It might be Vin Canarelli. I'm not sure. Um, you can find me at Mohawk Valley Wellness if you want to talk to me because I still need to practice talking to people. Um, That's right. You can find me at the yoga, st- uh, the yoga studio, In Bloom Yoga Studio, again, if you want to talk to me because I need practice talking to people. You can find me at my CBD website, uh, hempworks.com slash vcanarelli. Um, 
Or you cannot find me. It's up to you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's your prerogative. Yeah, as always, thank you for listening, especially since I had the little guys with me on podcast today. I know the noise can be a little tough, but we appreciate you, especially the little guys. Uh, and until next time, just get out there, live your life, love it, or change it. Bye.